hi, hello, how are you? Welcome in episode four. This is Arcan Sunday Mass. I'm Reverend Arcan. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tapping on this. Uh, thanks for sticking with me here as we continue to uh, react to the news of the week. It's been, I got to tell you, this whole, since I've been laid off, like there's been so much stuff going on, really. And it's been hard for me not to react, you know, like it's, you get used to sort of getting into the news cycle and like hearing these things and formulating what you want to say about them then going on that day or that night or whatever I mean you just get into a rhythm like that and I'm still I still feel like I'm kind of in that rhythm it's weird I know I'm not but like it still sort of feels like it because I still process information that way it's uh it's interesting but um this week has been an interesting one again I mean we had all the drama of last week uh and now we've uh, got a new player in the <laughs> in the whole in the uh, arena and that would be the Boston Bruins who I got to tell you, I had planned to talk about. I had uh, written down some notes about them this week prior to the drama of the last couple of days. And if you don't know, I mean, if you haven't been following, it's not like the Bruins had a ton of buzz going into this season. All the moves that they made were just bringing back their old players. So, you know, you knew that Martian was going to be out for a while. He's back now. Uh, you knew that McAvoy, some other guys weren't going to be back for a while. And it just sort of seemed like this wasn't the type of season that you could really get pumped up for. It's not like there was some big new signing. It's not like there's some new guy that they brought in. Uh, it was just Bergeron coming back and Krejci coming back after a year off. And that's basically it. And the Bruins have come out like a house on fire. They've been terrific. Uh, really just the best start in the history of the franchise. Uh, looking like they're really playing well for this new coach who was a guy that I was dubious about. I think a lot of people were, um, people didn't like the idea of Cassidy getting fired when it seemed like Sweeney was the problem, not him. Um, and here comes this, uh, here comes this this new coach, and he's got these guys all pulling in the same direction and playing at a really high level. So good for him, and uh, good for the team. And up until a couple of days ago, good for Don Sweeney, because he had everybody forgetting about this Cassidy thing. He had everybody forgetting about his bad drafts. He had everybody forgetting about some of these free agent signings that you know were really just sort of the last possible thing he could do in a lot of cases with players that were just still out there on the, on the market to be had at, I want to say low prices, but I think he's overpaid for some of them. Either way, he was kind of out of the woods. Don Sweeney kind of had a, he kind of had a nice clear path to redemption, didn't he? It seemed like it. It seemed like that's where things were going. It seemed like that was uh, what we were going to have to do as uh, Bruins fans and commentators is sort of, I don't know, bend the knee maybe is a little strong, but at the very least say I was wrong. I was wrong. Uh, looks like the team's doing well. Uh, I know some people think they may be peaking too early, and maybe they are, but I'll tell you what, I wasn't expecting a peak like this ever this year. I really wasn't. I wasn't expecting there to be a peak like this. Certainly not the best start in the history of the franchise. Uh, you want to call that peaking to where it probably is. I mean, listen, this team's probably not going to get too much better than they are right now. But even if they stay at a at a level that's close to this, I think you can. Uh, I think you can appreciate that as a Bruins fan, um, to be sure. But then that all gets really wiped away when you find out uh, a couple nights ago that this team. And Don Sweeney uh, signed defenseman Mitchell Miller, who is uh, 20 years old and is most known for um, not his uh, not his uh, ability to move the puck through the zone or uh, his ability to pinch in the corners or any of those things. Uh, he's mostly known for bullying and really torturing, I think is fair to say, a uh, developmentally disabled African-American kid in the town in Ohio that he grew up in, uh, starting in the first grade when I would imagine they were seven, eight years old, 
and going on until they were uh, in high school, until he was 14, right? Freshman in high school, eighth grade maybe, I don't know, around then. Um, I was always like six years older than whatever grade I was in. I remember that when I was a kid. Like if I was in second grade, yeah, I had six to it. I was eight years old. Uh, in first grade, I was seven. In ninth grade, I was 15. Like all that sort of thing. So I was born in January. So I'd imagine that's, you know, what we're talking about here. And if you read the articles, you can find out exactly uh, when all this happened. Um, I knew the some of the story. And I remember when the thing came out because the kid was with uh, the Coyotes organization. And they basically, uh, once the story broke in the Arizona Republic, said, all right, that's it. We're, we're done with this guy. Uh, we drafted him. We made a mistake. And uh, we're cutting him loose. The Bruins didn't have him on their draft board because of said torture, basically. I feel like I'm okay saying that. If you know the details of the story um, and what Miller did to this kid, for years and years and years, beating them up, calling them the N-word at first grade, uh, putting the lollipop in a urinal and then giving it to him. Like, I mean, the sort of stuff that, like, I've seen people go, well, you never made a mistake, Arkan, when you were yet. Not anything close to that, and certainly not for that prolonged period of time. I think we all made mistakes when we were younger. And by the way, I believe that young people, all people really, but young people in particular, deserve second chances in life. I do think that. All right, so I'm not I'm not cruel, and I don't think that this kid should be sun, shunned from society for life, unless he really doesn't think he did anything wrong and doesn't think he needs to apologize. If that's the case, then you're talking about someone who has not really learned anything from any of this, and that's I think the big disconnect between the people who are defending him. And there's not that many, uh, to be fair. I haven't seen that many people defending him. It's mostly just trolls. And uh, wow, Twitter's really really getting a lot better with that lately. I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but Christ, I mean, you're talking about you're talking about a kid who exhibited the type of behavior that, you know, so kids get sent away for kids get sent to reform school or like military school. If they have strict parents, they do something like that. And not to go off too much on the kid's parents, because I don't know what his parents situations like. I don't know if he has both his fun, if they live with. I don't know exactly what's going on there and I don't want to pretend to. But I also know that I didn't know what the N word was in first grade. And I certainly didn't know it enough to call somebody that and and use it that way. Not that I would have, but I mean, first grade, seven years old, eight years old. You learn that somewhere. He learned that from somebody. And despite, according to the kid's mother, who he did this to, despite years and reports to the school board, nothing happened. The kid never apologized until about a week ago before the Bruins signed him which guarantee you was, uh, you know, part of the contract stipulations. You better say you're sorry there, Mitchell. Come on. If you want to be a Bruin, you better say sorry after, what, 12 years? 12 years later, he's sorry now? Um, The whole thing makes my blood boil. Honestly, it does. Because the Bruins had no reason to do this. Aside from the fact that they haven't drafted well lately and their farm system's not great. Fine. This is the answer? This is the solution? Could this be in any clear indication of why Don Sweeney shouldn't have his job anymore? Forget the fact that he had such a horrible lapse in judgment. The lapse in judgment of signing this kid and thinking no one in Boston would care. Like, what's the matter with you? (coughs) Excuse me, still fighting off the end of that cold. 
I promise you, I will not make this uh, podcast <clears throat> about all my various maladies like it was last week. I know that was tough to stomach. I know that was probably pretty gross. It's not going to be like that, this podcast. I promise you. Can't promise I won't cough again or, uh, you know, get a sneeze in or something, but it won't be like that again. I promise you that. Anyways, uh, Don Sweeney has been just so bad at drafting. So many whiffs. So many players that just can't even make the team at the NHL level. Players that get these two-way contracts, get up for a little bit, and then have no business staying up there. End up, you know, down in the AHL, end up somewhere else. And because of that, now he feels like he has to roll the dice on a kid like Miller. And to even be in that situation in the first place, where you've whiffed so many times that you start thinking that's a good idea, that that's kind of a fireable offense in and of itself, right? Like, wouldn't you say? And then to actually pull the trigger and sign the kid? <laughs> you know, like, I, I said this before. I'm not a, I'm not a people-should-be-fired type of guy. I'm not. And why would I be, you know? I, I just got fired. Um, I got fired with the number one show. With two number one shows, actually. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, that's, that's different than this. You know, this is, to me, I think, uh, the type of thing that hurts the brand. This is for cause, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're not, you're not talking about trimming the payroll. You're not talking about, you know, uh, uh, that sort of thing, saving money. You're talking about a guy who's bringing in a player that is such a lightning rod that you've already seen. I mean, the amount of tweets and letters and emails that people are sharing that they're writing to the Bruins, season ticket holders, uh, Right? I mean, like, it's been it's been a, a avalanche of that. And how could Sweeney think that that wasn't going to happen? They wouldn't take him in Arizona, and there's no fans in Arizona. No one in Arizona even watches hockey. They don't even, they don't even play in a real rink. They play in, like, the college rink at ASU. Or something like that. Like, they play in a rink that holds about 7,000 people. They probably can't even sell that out. And they wouldn't take him. Two years ago. And now here it is two years later. The kid hasn't really learned anything because he didn't apologize until a week ago, according to the mother. And the Bruins say, yeah, let's bring him in. Let's see how this goes. Let's try. Maybe he can be an advocate for anti-bullying or whatever their thing is, they said. The press conference when they announced them. Oh, that was embarrassing, by the way. Um, again, second chances. I'm all for people getting second chances. If you earn them. He hasn't, he hasn't earned this. What's he done to earn this? Other than be a good hockey player. And again, I hate to say it, but that tends to trump everything, right? If you're a good player, then that's all that matters. Until we find out today from Gary Bettman that this kid can't even play in the NHL. They're not going to let him. And now the NHLPA is looking into it. Oh, what do you mean you can't play? What do you think? What do you think? They want this guy representing their league? They want this guy out there wearing the, wearing the shield? Of course they don't. I mean, I don't know how that needs to be explained any better. And for everybody saying, well, you know, the kid's probably sorry. Is he? I haven't heard him say a word. I know he apologized to, uh, I know he apologized to some of the teams, right? Sorry, sorry, I didn't tell you about this thing that I did. Didn't apologize to the kid, didn't apologize to the family. 
and did this for years and years and years. I mean, just, just horrible, really horrible. And bringing him uh, to the Bruins was horrible too. You're off to a great start. You've got the city's attention and you did it with a lame off season. No, the off season wasn't even exciting. And you take that and light it on fire, Don Sweeney. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? What in God's name made you think this was a good idea? Or that this is something that would just people would just forget about or ignore or not care about? When the kid can't even play in the NHL. What, do you want to win the Calder Cup that badly? For those who aren't aware, the Calder Cup is the AHL Stanley Cup. Like, that's, that's all you can do with this guy right now. He can't even play in the NHL, according to the commissioner. So you're doing all that, risking all this goodwill for a kid who can't even play in the league. Like, what's the matter with you? The Bruins' reactions, I thought, were fine. You know, you had Bergeron. uh, Bergeron said he was on the fence about it, which I didn't like. Shouldn't be a fence to be on. You don't need to be on the fence. Just say, no, I don't want this kid. I don't want this kid on the team. I don't know what he did. No. And if he wants a second chance, then he should come out and really ask for one. Instead of of just, you know, sending a DM on Instagram so you can sign your Bruins contract. Which, the fact that that was a stipulation that they put in there is really disappointing, I guess, is the only way to say it. Uh, All around. Just a disappointing spectacle all around, this entire thing. And that also just sort of points to another thing that I wanted to touch on real quick which is hockey culture, which is something that I feel like gets so much, it's so overrated. Hockey culture, like there's some great guys in the NHL, and there have been, you know, like for decades and generations. There's always been lots of great guys in the NHL. There's great guys in the NBA, there's great guys in the NFL, there's great guys in Major League Baseball. There's great guys in all walks of sport. But for some reason in the NHL, you always hear, oh, hockey players, they're so different. Oh, they're so different, they're so humble, they're so polite, they're so this, they're so that. And there's always, to me, been sort of a tinge of, you know, they're not prima donnas like those basketball players. You know what I'm talking about. There's always been a tinge of that. It's been it's been on the undercurrent, and sometimes not really even the undercurrent for a long time. And I've always rejected that. There's plenty of prima donna hockey players too. Okay, uh, you know, I mean that's that's not a thing that's that's just started this year. I mean, I my whole life there's been prima donna hockey players on the Bruins and all over the league. You know, there's been guys in the NHL who were not good guys. Uh, And to just go on and on like these hockey people do just about how great it is. Oh, culture and these hockey players are so great and they're so humble and they're so wonderful and all these things. You know, there's a lot of problems with hockey culture. There's a lot of problems with it. And this is a great example. Um, This isn't certainly the first example of hockey culture gone wrong. Um... There's been examples, other examples, racism, bullying, uh, misogyny, sexual assault, and things like that. And I sort of feel like whenever the topic of the cultures of the different sports comes up, everybody just sort of ignores all that about the NHL. And the only people who are ever really talking about it is people on the ground who are working in the league, who are oftentimes women or minorities who are working in the... uh, in the media or with the teams or whatever, or playing in the league who ring the alarms on these things. And then all the hockey bros are like, well, you know, know, they're just, they're just complaining. No, it's a problem. You have a culture problem and you've had it for a long time and you refuse to admit it. And that's annoying. 
Um, it's not to say it's the only uh, league that has a culture problem right now. Uh, and I don't want to spend the whole time ripping on the NHL, but I mean, my God. You know, the other leagues don't go braying about how great it is when they have these obvious problems. The NHL does, so I feel like they need to uh, they need to have a little talking to about it. Or at the very least, the, you know, people who are the gatekeepers of this, oh, hockey players are so great. Like, come on. Get over it. But I say all that to say the NBA's got a problem right now, too. NBA's got a big problem. And it's a Kyrie Irving problem. Kyrie Irving's his own man. He speaks for himself. But there has not been any, and I mean any sort of pushback on Kyrie from the rest of the league, from the other players in the league. I'm not hearing a word. I didn't hear what Kevin Durant didn't have anything to say. LeBron James got nothing to say. Jalen Brown's got nothing to say. None of these guys who have had plenty to say on other issues have said word one about Kyrie Irving and his blatant anti-Semitism. Blatant anti-Semitism. Well, I can't be anti-Semitic because I'm originally... Shut the fuck up. Like, that. You, you, please. You can be anti-Semitic, Kyrie, and you are. All right? I can't be anti-Semitic. Yes, you can. And you are. And you're doing it. Um, The players' silence on this is pathetic. The players... It's easy. It's easy to say what he said is terrible. I do not stand with him. I do not stand with Kyrie Irving. I reject what he said. I denounce what he said. And I hope that the rest of the league takes notice and, and denounces it too. And, you know, Adam Silver and those people, oh, yeah, they're suspending him now, Joe Sy and all that. I'm not talking about the people in charge. The people in charge obviously know that Kyrie's a problem and know that they have to discipline him and punish him and all the rest of that. It's the players in the league. The players in the league just sitting there quietly, what, because they're afraid of Kyrie Irving, afraid he's going to do what? Like, what, what are you scared of? Kyrie Irving's an idiot, all right? I mean, he's not a smart guy. He thinks he is, and he thinks he's doing his research. I saw a great uh, tweet thread, and I wish I could find it. I looked it up to try and find it again. I can't find it. It's getting hard to find stuff on Twitter now. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. You know, like, uh, the people these days who consider themselves free thinkers? It's almost always people who did bad in school, <laughs> you know? And this guy, I wish I could find the tweet thread, but this guy made a great point. He's like, if I did really bad in school, and then after I got out of school, I went online and I found, you know, these these people on YouTube or wherever who basically are telling me everything they taught me in school was wrong. And I start thinking, yeah, I didn't do well in school because they were lying to me. Like, yeah, I'd start believing whatever crap they're giving me too. And that's basically what it is. Kyrie Irving was not a good, he's not smart. He's not an intelligent person. Okay. And he probably did bad in school and only got by because he was a good basketball player. <laughs> you know, like he wasn't going to Duke <laughs> and not that Duke's even some great place either, but there's some fundamental things about, you know, getting that you get graded on in school that I'm sure he did not do very well at. And now all of a sudden here he is out, uh, out in his own reading all these things that are total nonsense and thinking, yeah, you know, this makes a lot of sense because that stuff in school really kicked my ass. I got some really bad grades. That made me feel stupid. It's because you are stupid. You're out there spouting, sharing anti-Semitic videos and then defending it. Bigging up Alex Jones. Oh, but I don't like what he did with the, 
with the uh, Sandy Hook kids. Yeah, you just like the, the anti-Jewish stuff, the New World Order and all that? Okay, good. Glad glad to know where you stand, Kyrie. Uh, have fun. Have fun. Uh, have fun on your suspension. I heard there's people defending him now, too. Anti-Semites, mainly. Of all creeds and colors, it's not, you know, it's not just the neo-Nazi guys. Uh, there's plenty of black people, all different types of people who are defending Kyrie Irving. And uh, to them, I just say, you know, you're making a choice. You're making the same choice that people who are racist make and decide, I'm going to do this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a right-wing provocateur. I'm going to be openly racist. And, uh, you know, I'm going to scream that they're censoring me whenever I get uh, dropped by a you know, by one of my sponsors or something like that. I'm going to scream censorship, even though it's really much simpler than that. If you're being sponsored by somebody like, I don't know, Nike to make shoes for him. And now all of a sudden your name is associated with bigotry. They're going to drop you. They're going to drop you, Kanye West. They're going to drop you, Kyrie Irving. And it's not a black. Well, yeah, if he was white, this wouldn't have happened. Really? If he's white, it wouldn't have happened. Tell that to Roseanne. Okay, Roseanne had a show that was doing very well. That reboot of Roseanne was killing it. And she started anti-Semitic, racist, all those things. And what did they do? Did they say, oh, well, she's white. Let's uh, let's leave her alone. No, they kicked her off the show and they changed the name of the show. The name of the show was Roseanne. Now it's called the Connors and she's not on it anymore. Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson was the biggest movie star in the world. He comes out with this anti-Semitic, anti-blah, I hope you get, you know, what he said to his daughter. If you don't know what that is, you can look it up. And all of a sudden, he's kicked out of Hollywood for four or five years. I know he's back now, and that's kind of embarrassing, but he has sort of had his come to, (laughs) no pun intended, come to Jesus moment, hasn't he? You want a great example? How about Donald Sterling? Donald Sterling, who is Jewish, by the way. Uh, and who owned a team, wasn't a player, wasn't a musician, an owner of a team, was so racist that the rest of the NBA made him sell the team. His team that he owned. Kanye West doesn't own Adidas. (laughs) Kyrie Irving doesn't own Nike. You know? Obviously, those brands are not going to want to associate with these people. Just like the league didn't want to be associated with Donald Sterling. And Netflix, whoever it was that had the rights to Roseanne, didn't want to be associated with her anymore. And why everyone in Hollywood didn't want Mel Gibson around. Because you can't be a bigot. That's why. It's simple. It's not a black or white thing. Don't be a bigot. And this won't happen to you. But these, I mean, Kyrie, they just, they can't help it. It's so important to them to get off these anti-Semitic takes and promote these anti-Semitic movies. And if that's what's so important to you, fine. That's what you can do. You can do that full-time. Just like the, you know, just like the right-wing provocateurs. You can be just like Jason Whitlock. You can go on, you know, Glenn Beck's show or Clay Trout, whatever, whoever he works for now. I don't even know. You know, you can go, you can do one of those, spit all the horrible anti-Semitic crap you want to. And you can say it to that audience. Lap it up. Oh, they'll love it. Get on Whitlock's show, Kyrie. He'll he'll give a nice open seat for you. You and Kanye, Whitlock, the three of you together, can all you know all have a sit down and have a chat. And boy, oh man, you <laughs> you know there's a 
You know the, the alt-right's going to love that. They're going to dig that. But that doesn't mean you get to spew your filth to the greater audience, to the, to the larger audience here. That's not what that means. That's not how this works. And the fact that you're getting dropped is just and correct. If I said anything like that, if I said anything like that about Jewish people, about black people, about any people, then I would expect the same treatment. The only thing I think is a little bit different is it's one thing to make fun of yourself. So long as you do it in a way that's not really harmful, you know? Like I may, you know, I do an Italian voice once in a while. I'm Italian. I do the Sunday thing because I'm Catholic. Like I, you know, I, I have a sense of humor about myself and my background and I don't, you know, I don't think that I cross too many lines with it. Some people may disagree. I don't think so. Uh, but you know, once you start venturing into the realms of hate speech, it's, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. And you might not like me calling myself reverend and, uh, you know, calling the podcast Sunday Mass. I don't hate Catholics. And I've never said anything like that before on the show. So, I mean, it's just, it's not comparable. It's not even close. Um, very, another very disappointing thing that's gone on now. Uh, the fact that these views are sort of becoming, I don't want to say mainstream, because I think Kyrie Irving's anything uh, but mainstream. But he's got a lot of followers, he's got a lot of influence, and if you read those tweets and you see those Instagram posts, there's a lot of people saying, oh, you're right, Kyrie. Oh, they just don't know their history. Oh, it's okay to, to hate Jewish people. Kanye was right about the Jews. They're holding up those uh, those banners up over you know these highways now. These neo-Nazis are doing that. They're going to be doing that about Kyrie soon, too. So, you know, g- good luck. Good luck with them. Good luck with the neo-Nazis, Kyrie and Kanye. Uh, have fun with them. Where do you find out what they say about you? Um, while all that was happening, Ime Udoka is going to the Brooklyn Nets. Um, that whole thing. That whole thing's been lingering for a while. But I think we have our answer now, don't we? We have our answer about Ime and, and what he did and, and how bad it was or how bad it wasn't. Doesn't this basically prove that it wasn't that bad? Well, he had a relationship with a subordinate. Yeah, I know, he did, and that's not a great thing to do. Um, Is that a fireable offense? I think it would be if you consider her a victim. But if she was a victim, then the Celtics would have a much bigger problem with him going to another team. I don't think there is a victim in this uh, situation. Not to mention the fact that the woman that he, uh, who was his subordinate is married. People act like, well, she had to because she worked for him. No, she didn't. She was married. She could have said, no, Ime, I'm married. But she didn't. She carried on an affair with the guy who isn't married, by the way. Ime Udoka, not married. She's married. And I think that at this point, regardless of what kind of messages he sent to her, yeah, maybe he sent some messages that were crude. Did that dissuade her from beginning a sexual relationship with him? And cheating on her husband? No? Well, then, I guess the messages weren't that bad, were they? I don't know about this. Like, I'm kind of on the side of these players. Marcus Smart comes out and says, uh, you know, he got slandered and dragged through the mud and then suspended and all that. If the Celtics thought what he did was so bad, they should have fired him. They should have. 
And I'm seeing people saying, well, if they fired him, they would have had to pay off all the money. Yeah, okay, well, then you do it. Then you pay him to go away. You don't suspend him and then let him go work somewhere else. If he was such a problem and was victimizing people and there were victims left in the wake here that he harassed or assaulted, then you do stand in the way of him getting a job somewhere else. Then you do say, I'm not going to let you go do this to another person at another organization. I am going to stand in the way of that. This organization is going to stand in the way of that. And that's not what they did. He's been out of work for what, a couple months? Not even? I mean, how many games have the Celtics played so far? Like 10? <laughs> like, he's not, this hasn't been very long where he's been out of a job. And the Brooklyn Nets have decided now to fire Steve Nash and bring in Ime Udoka. So you tell me. The Brooklyn Nets didn't think whatever he did was bad enough not to hire him. The Celtics didn't think whatever he did was bad enough that they would fire him for it. They thought it was more important to, uh, you know, save the money and let him go somewhere else uh, with a suspension. So that right there, I think, answers all the questions. It answers all my questions. I don't have I don't have anything else to I don't wonder about anything else. We saw that article in the Daily Mail. Names were named. They put that woman's name in the paper. Is she a subordinate? Yeah, she was a subordinate. Danny Ainge named her. Danny Ainge's family put her name out there. Okay. <laughs> like, sorry. <laughs> That's what happens. That's what happens when you're married and you get involved with uh, someone at work, and that's a high-profile thing. Your name's gonna your name's gonna come out, and I understand that there are other women who work there who uh, got wrapped up in this, which I think was all the more reason why the person who was actually at the middle of it probably should have gotten a little bit more heat than she did. You know, the Daily Mail or whatever—that's one thing. And again, I am not saying I think that it's great to have relationships with subordinates when you're at work. I do not, and I don't practice that sort of thing. But, my God, it takes two to tango, doesn't it? And when one of them's married, that's a pretty easy excuse right there. I can't be in a relationship with you, Ime. I'm married. Sorry, I'm married. I have a husband. That's not what happened. <laughs> that's not what happened at all. You know, if you don't want you don't want that kind of attention, then don't bang the coach. Okay? that's It's pretty simple. I'm sorry. Uh, the Celtics reaction, I get it. They may like Joe Missoula. I, I imagine that they do. But I also kept reading like, well, they're so happy and so thrilled with Joe Missoula and what he's done so far. Really? They're that thrilled after a quick uh, preseason and a couple of games in the regular season? They're that into Joe Missoula? Like, okay, that seems a little forced. Joe Missoula may be a great coach. I don't know. I haven't seen anything so far. It makes me think he's some you know brilliant uh, mastermind. Uh, Ime Udoka at first wasn't really getting through to these guys. The season seemed like it wasn't going well. And then all of a sudden they just clicked. They bought into a system and they clicked and it worked. Can Joe Mazzula get that same kind of, get that same kind of action out of him? We'll see. We'll see when Robert Williams comes back. Cause I think he's really a key to all of this on the court. You know, if he comes back and they're not the wagon that they were last year, you can say, yeah, there maybe was something to the coaching there. And another thing. Ime Udoka coaching that Brooklyn Nets team is not a good thing for the Celtics or anybody else in the Eastern Conference, in my opinion. In my opinion, that could be a major problem going forward. Because Ime Udoka has the respect of a lot of players in that league, including Kevin Durant. I don't know about Kyrie Irving. I don't know if Kyrie Irving respects any coaches. He probably doesn't. But Durant does. 
Durant loves Ime Udoka. He glowed uh, glowingly about him. He glowed glowingly about him. You know what I meant. <laughs> um, that, to me, is, uh, is something that Celtics fans are just dismissing. Oh, wow, Ime's going to that dumpster fire, huh? Yeah. He was your coach. And I don't know if you noticed, but when the team bought in, they were unstoppable until they got to game four of the NBA Finals. And Steph Curry and the Warriors, you know, with their experience, ended up beating them. Ime Udoka, maybe he had a lot to do with it. Maybe he had a little. I don't know. All I know is that it was better than Brad Stevens, who I thought was a pretty good coach in and of his own right. You know, Brad Stevens was the coach for years. Ime Udoka took him to another level. You think it's impossible that happens with the Brooklyn Nets? Really? You think it's impossible? Okay. I mean, the Nets are a bit of a mess, sure. But uh, the Celtics, you'll remember the year before, got beaten the first round. And then Ime Udoka comes in the next year. They're two wins away from the NBA championship. So, I don't know. Um, All that stuff. All that stuff. Pretty weird. Uh, But I don't blame the players for the reaction that they had. I honestly don't. Um, I'm starting to think this Ime Udoka thing was pretty badly mishandled all the way around. Uh, what else? Oh, Patriots Colts. If you're listening, uh, Saturday night, then you know that, uh, tomorrow Patriots will be hosting the Colts without Jonathan Taylor. I think that the Patriots have a real opportunity here to, uh, get a, get a solid conference win. And I think that they will win this game, but I also think that they need to start finishing these drives. If you remember that Colts game last year, they could not finish drives. Uh, Mac Jones, not really been good this year at finishing drives. That's the one thing I want to see. That's a tough defense Indy has. Buckner in the middle there, like that's tough. They're tough to run on. They can. Uh, they got good guys in the secondary. Colts defense is legit. Patriots, I think, will be able to get the ball with good field position because that offense, I mean, without, you know, with Ellinger as the quarterback and no Taylor at running back, you got yourself a pretty, pretty lousy offense there in Indy. But how much better is the Patriots offense with Mac Jones is the question. And can Mac Jones use that advantage to, uh, to, to get his team in the end zone and start improving these statistics? Because if we go another week here with Mac playing Schmeh, I don't know. I mean, can, I, can we at least get one game where Mac plays as well as Zappi did? Against uh, Detroit, can we have one game, or not against Detroit, against Cleveland, can we have one game like that? One game where we're watching Mac and saying, yeah, and not forcing it. Well, I saw people doing that. Lou Marloni got in the big Twitter fight with that Taylor Kyles guy. Because Kyles was like, well, he's really processing better than he ever has before. Look at look at the processing on these plays. And he included the uh, Bears game where Mac got benched. And Lou was like, are you kidding me? Like, what, what are you talking about? Processing better. And I watched some of those clips, and I didn't honestly think that Mac was processing all that well either. Some of the clips were him like throwing the ball away. You know, just uh, he was under pressure and he's getting rid of the ball quickly. When there are guys open who he could have, if he, you know, took one more look, could have maybe hit. Um, I don't consider that great processing, but whatever. I'm not, you know, some film buff. I just, I, I sort of was on loose side on that one more so than I was on, uh, on anybody who was trying. Even Bedard, you know, Bedard too was saying Mac wasn't as bad. And he wasn't terrible in that uh, in that Jets game, but he wasn't good. And I'm just, can we get one good game? We've gotten one good Bailey Zappi game. Can we get one good Mac Jones game? And don't tell me Baltimore. Too many turnovers against Baltimore. I want one. Hang your hat on the on the 
Mac Jones. Hang your hat on Mac Jones again. That's what I want. Just one. Okay? And then we'll go from there. But I feel like he needs one just to at least say he has that on par with Bailey Zappi. Like, Bailey Zappi, I don't think, is some great quarterback. But he, at the very least, has shown this year that he can go out there and have a good game. Mac Jones hasn't really shown you that yet. Um, By the way, I'll be on Patriots.com tomorrow morning or this morning, Sunday morning, with the crew there, Mike and uh, Paul and Tamara. Uh, We'll have you pre- and post-game starting at uh, 1045, going up until quarter of one, and then after the game until about 6 o'clock. So that should be uh, a lot of fun, should be an interesting matchup, and uh, we'll be there. It's the first time we're going to be there for a game, for a home game. So uh, that should be fun. I was there once... um, it was a preseason game, and Kenny Chesney was playing a concert. So I did get sort of an idea what that place is like when there's a lot of people around. But not, you know, uh, full stance for a Patriots game. That's a little bit different. Anyway, Patriots.com. You can hear me there. Uh, this will be the last one I'm doing for, I think, a month, barring any sort of uh, changes. But, um, yeah, I'll be, uh, I'll be with the crew uh, today, tomorrow, whatever. If you're listening on Sunday, you could flip over there right now. Probably hear me talking right now. All right. As we've been doing, let's get to some questions. Uh, first question I got, I got this a lot this week. Arcan, are you going to stay on Twitter, uh, now that Elon Musk has taken it over for now? Yeah, sure. I'm not going to leave Twitter. I'm not going to be one of those dramatic. I'm leaving Twitter people. I'm just, I'm not, uh, first of all, I have more followers than I ever thought I'd have. It's not that many. I have like 13,000-something followers. Uh, And I feel like, you know, so long as uh, there's still people who want to hear from me, I'm going to stay tweeting. The other question I got is, what if uh, they take away your blue check mark? Will you pay to have it put back? To which I say, (laughs) will I pay to have my check mark back? No, I will not pay to have my check mark put back. Um, I could give a shit about my blue check mark. I really could. I don't care. You want to know how I got my blue check mark? A lot of people ask me that too. Why do you even have a blue check mark, Arcan? How come you have one and Jones didn't? Like, what's what's that about? Got asked that a lot. Here's why I have a blue check mark. Um, in 2017, I was doing WEEI late night. Okay, I had a late night show on EEI, and I got hired by the Boston Herald because uh, they had Herald Radio, which existed at the time. It doesn't anymore. But uh, Boston Herald Radio had an opening. There was this guy. I forget who had the show before me, but it was a show called Fargo Street, and that's back when the Herald's offices were on Fargo Street. I don't even think they have an office anymore. Uh, but the office used to be right there in Southie, uh, well, not Southie, but the Seaport. And they had a little studio. It was me, this guy John Sapachetti, and this guy Christian Burgoyne. And the three of us had this show called Fargo Street. And it was, you know, fun show. And they wanted it to be, Tom Shattuck was the uh, guy in charge of it all, and he sort of, his vision for the show was that it was sort of going to be like, you know, kind of guy radio sports central with you know some politics mixed in and that's mostly what it was um 2017 if you'll remember is spring of 2017 was right around the beginning of the russia investigation with trump as you know i'm no fan of trump and since i was at the herald and since i work in sports radio and you know i've always kind of had this yeah i felt like all right well I don't just want to sit here and agree with everybody. It's the Herald. We know where a lot of people who work here stand on all this. I'm going to go different. I'm going to, you know, follow my own path here. I'm going to rip on Trump every day, which is basically what I did. And I know a lot of people probably didn't like it. But they listened. I was told uh, when I got laid off, because I did get laid off from the Herald too, I was told when I got laid off that more people streamed my show than any other show in Herald Radio history. More than like Howie's. 
which I didn't, I thought there's no way that could possibly be true. But uh, the editor at the time said that to me on my exit interview. He said, yeah, yeah, we, we looked it up, more streams than anybody else. I said, oh, well, what the hell are you laying me off for then? But it was just, you know, similar thing, budget cuts. Uh, Herald Radio, I think, got discontinued not long after that. Which is a shame, because I think that was a fun little outlet. And I enjoyed doing that show. Um, you know, it was it was fun. It was fun talking sports and ripping on Trump. I enjoyed it. It was, it was fun for me. I don't know. Um, but anyway, about a day after I signed the paperwork, and maybe the Herald did this. I don't know. Maybe they, like, applied on my behalf. I have no idea. I didn't do anything. Um, I was driving to New York City and uh, for a funeral. And when I got there, I checked into the hotel, checked my email, and it said, Twitter verification. You have a blue check mark. You've been verified. And I thought, huh. I wonder why that is. I'd imagine it's because I had been hired by the Herald. And maybe when you do that, the Herald, I don't know. I never asked. I didn't, I didn't care. Blue check mark. Who cares? At the time, I only had like 5,000 followers. And the blue check marks with like 5,000 followers, I always feel like are kind of lame anyway. I was one of them, so I can say that. Now I'm a very cool blue check mark with 13,000 followers. So, you know, now it's much better. But uh, that's, that's when I got it. And I worked there for four months. <laughs> like, it's not like I was some longtime columnist. I did a radio show that not that many people listen to, but more than anybody else. Uh, and I did it for, from April, May, June, July. I got laid off in July. So, you know, from part of the spring into part of the summer. And uh, that's how I got my blue check mark. If they want to take away my blue check mark, feel free. Uh, I'm not paying for it. I'm not paying for something that I didn't pay for to begin with and that I didn't care about to begin with. Having a little picture of a check mark next to my name is not something that I feel like should come with a cost. <laughs> you know? Like, I wasn't a big NFT guy. I feel like that's what this is. Musk just wants to make the check mark into like an NFT. And now, if you pay, you know, 100 bucks a year, $8 a month, whatever it is, then you get a check mark, but you get, you know, you get to watch longer videos or you can post longer videos, which was that something that people were ups wanted on Twitter? Was that a big demand? Ah, we want longer videos. Really? Is that a thing? I didn't know that. I wasn't there. I wasn't there wondering why there weren't longer videos on Twitter. I don't care about that. If that's something people want, fine. Pay your $8 and get your longer videos, your blue check mark, if you want to. I'm not paying a cent to use any part of Twitter. Not a cent, okay? Not unless they added some really great new features. But all the things I'm saying, well, you might have to pay to DM people now. Really? Oh, yeah, that's what I want. Yeah, I want to spend $100 a year to uh, have people be able to DM me the filth that I get in my inbox. <laughs> what? I don't... I can't imagine. I can't possibly imagine it would pay uh, that kind of money to DM people. Like, that's, that's hilarious. Um, I don't even know what the other stuff is. I don't care. I'm not paying for it. And I think Elon Musk is a jackass. I'm sorry. Like, the whole, the whole thing with the advertisers that he's doing now... Like, you fire the entire moderation team, all right, at Twitter, you fire them, and all these people are all, ex all excited, yeah, fire them, Elon, yeah, fire those snowflakes, yeah, and then the advertisers see that no one's moderating anything anymore, there's all this hate speech free-flowing everywhere, uh, Elon Musk is on there spreading around uh, conspiracy theories about Pelosi's husband getting uh, bludgeoned with a hammer. And people are wondering, and he, now he's like, wow, I, I can't believe that these, that these sponsors wouldn't want to stay with Twitter. 
buddy, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. And now this is even better. Now they're saying, well, if you, uh, if you're a sponsor and you, uh, stop buying ad space with, with Twitter, I'm going to name and shame you because you're against free speech. Oh yeah. Isn't that the very definition of free speech? These companies saying, I don't want to spend money on your shitty platform anymore. I don't want my ads to be placed next to neo-Nazi jargon. Isn't that their free speech that they're exercising or it only counts when you want to be racist? Like what? It's unbelievable. Like the, the parameters of free speech that these, uh, that these people think that they're getting screwed out of. Oh man, I, I believe in free speech. Okay. Do you believe in hate speech? Is that part of it? You get the hate speech? Because that's what these advertisers are worried about. And so far, you've given them just cause to worry. And oh, by the way, threatening them? You think that's going to work to attract new advertisers? Threats? (laughs) You're running off all the blue check marks and threatening all the sponsors? I've seen this a couple of times, and I think there's some merit to it. The only way anything that Elon Musk is uh, doing makes sense is if you look at it through the scope of him trying to ruin Twitter. Like trying to just kill the thing completely. Paying $44 billion just to run the thing into the ground. For some greater cause. I don't know. It's too woke. Twitter's so woke. Let's end woke Twitter. Whatever. Whatever it is they're trying to do. Like people aren't going to, uh, you know, find some other outlet to, to post on. You remember MySpace fell apart when Facebook got popular. People are on other platforms. It's not like Twitter was the only one. Um, but it was for the most part, better than the rest of them. It had lots of problems and it sucks. And I don't think a lot of people are going to pay for the privilege to use it. But as far as a free app goes, I mean, you know, they tried their best. Oh, but they, they put warnings on the the hate speech and, oh, they, they put warnings when I put my anti-vax shit out there. Like, yeah, they did. And they should, they should do that. There was a pandemic going on that killed 5 million people. You know, some of that information could be very dangerous, could kill people. You know, like I didn't have a problem with that. And I'm sorry if you did. But if you did, you could always go to Parler. You could always go to, you know, one of these alt-right uh, neo-Nazi message boards if you really, really need to get your crap out there. They'll listen to you there. No one no one on Twitter, want, it, it, some people did, but for the most part, the majority of people on Twitter didn't want to hear your bullshit. Um... So yeah, I'll be staying on Twitter after after this. I'm not I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to make some big dramatic exit either. But I can also see myself leaving at some point, you know, once it's not worth it anymore. Um and that could be soon. But I'll tell you what, I'll never pay a red cent. <laughs> $8. for a check mark. Good business plan, bro. Oh, what do you mean? He's so good at business. Oh, Arkan, what do you? How could you possibly comment on him and his business? Look at him; he's worth so much money. Yeah, I know. If you think he's doing a good job with Twitter right now, then uh, I love what you're smoking. I'd love to have some. Even Jerry Thornton, who Jerry Thornton, my God, what a Elon Musk groupie he is. I mean, it's pathetic. If Elon Musk and Jerry Thornton ever did a podcast together, if Musk got up, you would have to peel Thornton's nose off uh, off his seat. I mean, the it's embarrassing. I think how how giddy he gets 
whenever Musk does something, oh, it comes in with the sink. Oh, he's firing all the employees. All these things that, you know, generally are frowned upon. People don't like when someone comes in and fires the entire staff. But for some reason, Elon Musk doing it gets, uh, that really pops Jerry Thornton's cork. I mean, that really, that really turns his crank. Even he's like, I don't know how I feel about this whole paying for the blue checkmark thing. And that's the other thing about it. You know, everyone's like, oh yeah, now all these like woke blue check marks are getting upset. Yeah. What about the Ben Shapiro's of the world and the Cernovich's and the Benny Johnson's and you know, all these alt-right figures who are all over the Candace Owens and Tommy Laren and all these, you know, all these ghouls who are in there pushing their crap every single day. Now they have to buy blue check marks, you know? All right, fine. Let's see. Let's see how that looks. Maybe Elon will give them a, give them a discount. You know, like <laughs> that it's, it's either, it's either you spend your own money. Okay. Jerry Thornton, either you're spending your own money to pay a hundred dollars for a little picture of a little check mark next to your name, or you admit that's a fucking stupid idea. <laughs> like one or the other. It can't be both. You can't say, oh, this guy's great. This guy's a genius. This guy's doing so, everything so cool. What a cool guy. But uh, I don't know if I'm going to do that. I'm going to know if I'm going to do that checkmark thing. I don't know how I feel about that checkmark. They just say it, Jerry. It's stupid. You think it's stupid. You think it's a stupid idea because it is. You know, if you can't admit that, then what are you doing? Why even comment on it? Elon, my $8 for a checkmark. <laughs> Oh man, uh, I honestly like if it was if it caught if they changed my blue check mark to a picture of like a burn victim, and said it's going to be eight dollars to change it from the burn victim back to the check mark, I still wouldn't do it. I'm not paying you. I'm not giving you anything. <laughs> it's you. You spent forty four billion dollars on this. No one asked you to. You didn't have to do that. And now you don't have a plan. This is your plan. I'm going to charge money for a check mark. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to run off all the advertisers. It makes sense if he's trying to ruin Twitter. If he's trying to completely uh run it into the ground, he's doing a great job, I think. Um I think Twitter's going to be dead in a year or two. So, I'll 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 go down with the ship. What other questions did I get? Uh Arkan, are you feeling better? Yeah, I mean, you heard me coughing a little bit here, but I'm feeling better for the most part. Um just waiting for the next thing that the uh, next disease that my son brings into the house gets us all sick again. I'm sure it's coming. I don't know. Maybe like the flu. Uh, something like that. Um, but yeah, I am feeling better now. Thanks. Uh, let's see. Arcan, what other jobs have you had in your life other than radio? Um, no, I haven't answered this, I don't think, uh, in a while. I've had a uh, bunch of different weird jobs. Um, the main one is in the service industry. Uh, my family was in the restaurant business growing up. We had a uh, tavern in Quincy Market called the Ames Plow Tavern. It's gone now, uh, but it was there for 40 years. It was there before I was born, and uh, we closed in 2016. And it was, uh, my father opened it back in the 70s. So a lot of people don't know this, but back uh, in the 70s, Quincy Market was boarded up. There was nothing there. No one ever hung out there. The only thing that was there was Durgan Park, and everything else was just kind of boarded up. These old buildings were just, you know, full of rats and and there was nothing in there. There's no businesses in there. Uh, it was just a bunch of empty old buildings. And then the mayor at the time was this guy, Kevin White. He was doing this big urban renewal project. And uh, he 
was really the one who was in charge of it, but he made Quincy Market and Faneuil Hall sort of the centerpiece of it and turned it into what it is today, which I know today it's kind of touristy, but at the time it was brand new. It was like the seaport, you know, and tons of people were there all the time. They put that food court in the main building there, you know, where uh, uh, Salty Dog is and uh, Flurries and the Fisherman's Net and all that stuff, the other Regina's and, you know, Finagle a Bagel had a thing in there. Like that's, that was all, uh, that was all just an empty building. And then they put all these um, uh, restaurants and stuff in there. And it was really, I think, like the first food, one of the first food courts in America back in 1975, 76, whatever it was. There weren't malls in every, t- in every town, you know, in every state. That was a pretty revolutionary thing, having a big food court like that. And uh, Ames Plow was one of the first restaurants there. Salty Dog was another one. Um, Jimmy's Harborside. There was all these other places. And... Uh, you know, back then it was a real hot spot because there just weren't that, there weren't a lot of other places to go. And that was in my family in my whole life. And I started working there young. I was like 12, 13 when I started working there. I'd run food, you know, up the stairs. Uh, we had an outdoor patio. The rest of the bar was uh, underground. And my first job that I ever had was running, uh, running food to the servers. And then they'd take it to the tables. And I worked at the plow for, you know, on and off for a long time. I'd come home in the summers from college and work there, um, you know, after I graduated and I was, uh, I was back East. I was, uh, I was picking up shifts there while I was working at, uh, other radio stations. Cause you may not know this, but some of these radio stations don't pay all that great, especially, you know, the smaller ones when you're first starting out, if you get paid at all. So I needed to make money somehow. And that was always a, a thing that I could do when I was in Boston, when I was in college, uh, I bartended, waited tables at a bunch of different places in Boulder. I also um, was a security guard for CU Hockey Games, which was a fun job. Um, I was pretty small and sort of slender to be doing security work, but I did it. And mostly it was just confiscating people's drugs and like flasks and stuff like that and telling people don't bang on the glass. Like that was all I ever did. Uh, If I saw somebody drinking, I'd take their flask. You know, if I saw somebody uh, smoking, I'd take their joint, I'd take their bowl or whatever. I usually end up giving it back after the game. Sometimes not, depended. Um, what else? What other jobs did I have? Um, oh, one summer I worked for this company that went around registering people to vote, like at grocery stores and stuff. That was a fun job. Um, if you like getting yelled at at the grocery store by angry people who think who don't know what you're doing. See, that's the thing. We weren't um, like asking for money. You know, there's people at the grocery store like, do you have a minute for the children? Or like, do you have a minute for Greenpeace or whatever? Like, we weren't doing that. We were basically just saying, hey, are you registered to vote at your current address? Because if not, we can do it for you. And it was actually, I thought, a pretty nice service. This was back 07, 08, you know, before the, uh, before the Obama election. And, you know, like 10 or 12 of us, we'd all get in the car, drive around to some town in Colorado, go to a grocery store, and, uh, you know, stand out in front with our clipboards and register people to vote. And it was, you know, I don't know, I thought it was a fine job. But uh, that's another one I had. Um, but most of the jobs were, yeah, service industry stuff, things like that. I was a tutor for uh, kids at this uh, special needs school in Boulder for uh, for one semester. But that was like a college credit thing. Like, it wasn't really a job. Um, yeah, so that's about it. That's about it in terms of the other jobs that I've had. Um, oh, and when are you coming back? That's another question I've been getting. I know that in my first uh, episode, I said that I'd be coming back in a couple of weeks. And it's been a couple of weeks. When are you coming back? Nah. Nah. You'll see. You'll see. That's all I can say is you'll see. Um, but I will be back. I can tell you that with 
full certainty. I will be back. As for when and for where, I can only say that you will see. You'll see. Um, that's it. That's all I got. Uh, want to say, um, tune in patriots.com pre and post for the Colts. I'll be in with the crew, Mike and, uh, Paul and Tamara, along with, uh, Maddie, the Marine, my guy there behind the glass. We'll, uh, have pregame for you starting at 10 45, going until about 15 minutes before kickoff. And, uh, after the game we'll be on until about six o'clock. So, uh, tune into that patriots.com pre and post game show with myself and the crew. So enjoy the rest of your uh, Saturday night or the rest of your Sunday day. Enjoy your football Sunday. That's all for me. Mass has ended. Go in peace. I'll talk to you next weekend. Adios.